The Little Written Podcast. Conversations with writers. My name is Annegret Merten. I am a writer, I guess. Good start. <laughs> um, I write theatre reviews. I also work in the theatre in different types of contexts. Worked as an um, assistant director, um, dramaturg. And I also do a PhD at the moment. I've just started my PhD at King's College London. Great. I, I'd like to talk a bit about the, the dramaturge thing a bit later, because that's a sort of interesting concept. Um, but I thought maybe we start with, because you also work for Exeunt magazine. Mm-hmm. So Exeunt is um, a theatre magazine, and it's been founded, I think, in 2012. I think. That's so it's quite modern, it's quite recent. It's quite recent, but not in, I think, in... Um, in blogging terms, that's quite a long time. If you've been around for three years and you've constantly built up your your readership, yep. um, so yeah, it's been around for for a while, and it's been founded by Danielle Yates and Natasha Tripney. Okay. Um, and Natasha, she's now um, the co-lead critic at the stage, mm-hmm. and which is another. Yeah, it, the stage is a, a, a long-standing industry magazine, so mm-hmm. they have a print version and. An online version. I'm betraying my complete ignorance here, um, which is partly for the listeners' benefit and, and partly for my own. I, I, so I was reading about Exeunt on the website, and um, it seems there's quite a sort of established philosophy for why the magazine exists and what you're trying to do with it. So what's what is that philosophy then? Yeah, we have a wonderful, wonderful manifesto right. on, our, on our website, a digital or manifesto for digital criticism. And I think when it was initially founded, it was to have something, a place where people can write about theatre in a way um, that allows them to be much freer in their in their response and not be tied down to really established, you know, 200, 300 word mm-hmm. reviews that just tick all the boxes off. Oh, this is what it's about. This is what the actors did. This is what the set looks like. You should go and see it or you shouldn't. So that's what a lot of mainstream criticism uh, does. And... For Axiom, we're as writers are much freer, mm-hmm. um, so we you can do I don't know, you can do doodles, you can do um, audio responses, you can do long thing pieces that are two thousand words. So we've got reviews of of specific pieces, but then we've got um, interviews and features that are maybe that you can't really find in other publications mm-hmm. and. You've got a lot of theatre nerds on our editorial team, which is really... Yeah, yeah. I was listening to your podcast, which, again, we need to talk about. Um, there's a frightening level of knowledge about theatre in there. Yeah, I think I think the, the theatre criticism scene, the, the little I know of it, I think um, that one of the great things about Exeon is you learn as you go along mm-hmm. and you, you are actually allowed to try yourself out as a, as a writer. Um, so... You, yeah, you, you get sent to stuff you may not know a lot about, and then um, yeah, as you as you go along, as you talk to people, as you write about it, and you research it, you you learn about it, and um, it's it's great because you get, you can really geek out, mm-hmm. uh, and people are really in, in, in our you know our little theatre criticism bubble, people are really happy to share knowledge, and it doesn't feel like a closed off club. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you, they see that you're interested and you, you, know, you want to push the boundaries of what you can do as a writer, 
um, yeah, they, they, they take you on, you get taken on board and you can try stuff out, which I think is very, it's a very rare thing to have in, like, in the publishing world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you get some pretty good, uh, good people in there. I see there's an interview with Stuart Lee on the website at the moment. Uh, yeah, we do, we do get um, really good people as um, contributors and, and people we can speak to because people know that we're, we care, I mm -hmm. think, and they know it's not about, they can't really approach us with just trying to sell their show, that's not what it's, what it's about, which I think a lot, there's, there's this relationship between uh, critics and theatre makers, you know, we, as, as critics we've got a lot of things we do, so we document stuff and we try to be as a kind of consumer guide, I guess a lot of critics understand themselves as consumer guides and... Yes, and, and I think they know when they come to us, when they speak to us, it's much more about talking about the work and what does it mean in a bigger context and discovering new people. So I think they, they come because they know there's a different depth. And I'm not saying that, um, that all mainstream criticism is, doesn't, does not go to that depth. I know Lynn Gardner is brilliant and she cares about new, uh, about new work a lot. And yeah, so... There's, there's potentially a lot of baggage that being a critic brings to a relationship with a, a producer of art, I guess. Yeah, I think the impact that criticism has on already established people is way overrated. Mm. If you have an audience, have built your audience, they will come back regardless of if, I don't know, Michael Bellington gives you a two-star review people will come back because they know that oh, there's a famous person in there or it's this writer or it's this director. People will come back, I think. What their real role, the people who are in mainstream criticism, they've got a real opportunity to boost, I think, unknown, unknown talent. And I don't know... Yeah, it is, it is a weird relationship. I, I suppose you're right because you get invited to a press night and then they give you a drink and then they're trying to pamper you maybe. But I think it's, it's just... Um, understood of that, I don't know, that that's just what happens they don't expect to get a good review because they treat you in a different way it's just part of what's been established and there's been a lot of discussion around whether press nights for example are a good thing because um, you know you, you get them all in for this one evening and mm -hmm. the performance you get isn't necessarily uh, yeah, it's of a certain type it might not be the same as it's later in the run a discussion if it is a good thing to um, give critics free tickets. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Um, would they write the same way if they had to pay sixty quid for a West End show? Would they be more? Would they be more damning if they if they had to? So, yeah, I think there are there are very different philosophies, especially in the blogging world, about those sort of things. Um, so, I'd like to know how you got to this point then so how did you get to being a critic on Exeunt what were you doing before well I was I came to the UK maybe four years ago mm -hmm. from, and from Germany from Germany I came from Germany and um, so I did a cultural studies degree and I wasn't really sure where I was going with it I'd worked in the theatre for a bit but I've come very late to, to theatre I hadn't seen much as a child and um, and it was by kind of coincidence, I was interested in it, but it was kind of coincidence that I ended up being an assistant director in, in Germany. And then I'd worked at the Shakespeare Festival and I'd worked with two 
um, British companies there at a Shakespeare festival, and I thought, wow, this is this is so interesting. The stuff they do, and obviously, I love um, the English language. And I thought, oh, I always wanted to live in London. Let's just go there. Mm-hmm. And then as easy as that. As easy as that. <laughs> and how do you coincidentally become an assistant director? That's probably <laughs> an uh, interesting trajectory in itself. I don't know. It's, um, it's basically I've written my. Um, bachelor's thesis back then and I'd spend months in front of the computer mm-hmm. writing about a novel right. and I just had enough I just thought I can't be I need to do stuff I need to go and so I just wrote an email to um, the artistic director of a local small theatre said I want to do stuff can I do stuff and then it invited me and I sat in a few rehearsals and talked to him and said so what sort of stuff is you do what what can I learn from you and then he said um, I've got this production coming up why don't you help me mm-hmm. and then I ended up doing that for four years running um, and I could still do my other studies to do my masters but I always went back to that same director and worked with him and he was the um, artistic director of a small children's theatre mm-hmm. and yeah I, I think I can always just recommend to people who want to do stuff to just email people and go, I want to do stuff. I mean, they can't, the worst thing they can say is no. The worst thing they can do is ignore you. (laughs) Yeah, but then you go to someone else and I don't know. Um, And that was my approach when I I came here. That was the same thing. I just emailed a lot of people. And here it's much more, I think that relationship is less personal maybe here. So there are a lot of these, when I arrive, a lot of these volunteering schemes at the at the old Vic so I had a horrible interview at the old Vic mm-hmm. it was it felt like um, Britain's Got Talent you had this, ta- this table of four people it was an unpaid position and they quizzed me on, on my potential and uh, yeah that was a weird experience but again I ended up in a small theatre and worked there for, for a while at the Finborough Theatre and, and just slowly got into into that theatre realm here but I wasn't quite sure how a theatre world worked here in mm-hmm. the UK. It's very, very different from Germany, just in terms of funding and then how, yeah, how, how do you get a show up and running? That's that's that works so differently structurally. Because mm-hmm. um, in, in Germany, a lot of the theatre is um, state funded, or most of the theatre is state funded. Um, and, and here, yeah, you have to scrape all the money together for each production, have to almost write a business plan. And do, so do you think that affects the sort of work that comes out? Hmm, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the, the rehearsal processes are much shorter here. Mm-hmm. Actors don't usually work together for, for long stretches of time, whereas in Germany you've got ensembles who sometimes work together for years and years, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you know that like a well uh, well old machine so when that new script comes in they yeah they bounce ideas off each other much yeah in a, in a very different way whereas here you've got this every time the director gets that t- gets it, uh, the team together and the the directors don't know each other and they might be more afraid to do bold choices mm-hmm. because they want to be hired again next yeah, time yeah. so they won't, don't want to be the one person who just keeps trying this crazy thing you know so you think that the, the German model is the, uh, the preferable one then in that respect I ask because I was reading a, a, a very damning very biased but very damning article about the French theatre world the other day suggesting that because uh, 
most of the funding came from the state without any trouble, the, the art became very insular and stopped worrying about having to connect with real people and just started talking to one another. Um, now, it was clearly from one particular point of view, but do you think there's any truth in that? Does that translate to the German model at all or not? I don't know. There it seems, seems to be this projection here in the UK towards the continent that it's all... You know, the grass is always greener on the other side, that there's all this money and it's amazing and, mm. wow, the, art, the artistic freedom we could have if only it were, it, um, it were like that. And the truth is that there are great things about both, both systems. Um, so structurally, I think it's much harder to get into, um, into, into a position where you can actually put on work Put your own work on. It's much more hierarchic. Um, to here or in Germany? Sorry, sorry, yeah, in Germany. In Germany, yeah. So you go through. You know, you're an assistant director for ten, I don't know, fifteen years maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are um, exceptions, but it takes a long while, to, mm-hmm. and you have to go through the Stadttheater, the city theaters um, system for, for quite a long while until you get to a point where you can do interesting stuff that you think that's that's the kind of art I want to make and when you speak to, to young um, German directors they they're also worried about money there are lots of cuts so I don't know uh, and in terms of um, producing work that's relevant to the people I'm not sure that here in Britain just because the funding's different the work's actually almost yeah it's, it's actually always relevant to the people I don't know that's a hard question in general terms I don't know if that's necessarily to do with funding um, yeah I think here the great thing about British theatre is that if you've got a great idea and I mean we're um, in a pub here and they've just set up this space for a comedy night mm-hmm. you know I don't know who, who's decided to do it but you know if you've got an idea you can call up a pub hire a room uh, above the pub and put it on and then if you've got one or two people in the audience who've specifically invited who you know that have contact in the industry and they can help you and then you can get it to a bigger venue and then you know that I think that the idea that you can make it with a single show with a really good idea I think that holds true here and I don't think that necessarily holds true in these really hierarchic structures if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, so yeah there are benefits to to both system and there are there are um, attempts here to take benefits of both it must have been maybe a year and a half ago that um, the Lyric Hammersmith artistic director, Sean Holmes, mm-hmm. um, started the, the Secret Theatre project. And he also had a manifesto saying, this is what's wrong in British theatre. We're being too literal and our performers don't really know each other and these are all the problems and we need to challenge the structural problems we have. Now that was all a bit... And not all of it, but some of it was just trying to trying for effect, I think. Mm-hmm. But what he did then um, was get a get a team together. Um, I don't want to I don't want to lie, but maybe ten performers mm-hmm. and um, designer and him as a director, and he got some other directors in uh, dramaturg and writers, mm-hmm. and they um, over the course of a year, a year and a half, did seven shows. And yeah, these these ensembles, you don't really have them 
anymore. You used to have them, I think, the yeah, repertory, repertory companies. Yeah, the yeah, repertory yeah. companies, exactly. And so he tried to re-establish that for a, for a while. And um, yeah, some of the work was good. Mm-hmm. So it was brilliant. Some of it didn't work at all. Um, but tried different different types of work. Tried a farce. Tried something devised. So not really having a writer, just having a dramaturg being in the process mm-hmm. of uh, when when the show was, was developed. Um, new writing classics. They they tried all of these uh, different forms and just um, see where it got them without any. Basically, he said we want to allow ourselves failure, mm-hmm. and we're just going to try and give it a go. But we have a team and everyone just gets to know each other and so we can be more risky along um, along the process mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's that's what that yeah. so you mentioned again um, the role of a, a dramaturg um, which is something we should talk about so I was a bit sort of tricked by this word because in French dramaturge is just a playwright but it means something quite different in Germany and, and has been to some extent imported into Britain I guess so what what is this role in theatre well it's much Contested what it actually, what it actually is. You've worked in this. You've worked as a dramaturg yourself, right? I've worked in a dramaturgical capacity on, okay. a, produ- on a production. See, you know, you, you can see I'm a bit hesitant to go. Yes, I am a dramaturg because here in Britain is, um, I think there are as many plays as there are, as many different ways of being a dramaturg mm-hmm. that there are, and um, I think in, in Germany it's much clearer what the role is and it's working with the director kind of standing between the text and the director and defending the concept that's what I would um, okay. kind of, that's what I, how I would ca- characterise it try and characterise it so I'm already adapting my own impression because I thought it was more about research like it, for a historical play it would be about getting historical accuracy yeah that can, that? that can be not well not accuracy necessarily if someone wants to do um, you know War of the Roses happening at the moment yeah <laughs> accuracy within the bounds of what the play is actually trying to achieve um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, the maybe more coherence of the concept right okay so that, that the logic of the concept uh, works and then if if you wanna, I don't know. If you wanna have a weird, wacky concept, then you make sure that um, that is just coherent through through the end, maybe. Um, so why why couldn't the writer fulfil this role then? A, he's either dead, or he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, or the director says, I don't want the writer in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think here the focus is much more on on fulfilling a writer's vision, maybe. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to t- it's hard to talk about that that role. I think because um, there are so many ideas, and if you if you're brought in as a European, people just they bring you in and they they're not quite sure what they can expect. So it's really hard to negotiate. What it is you actually do? So when I when I worked in that role, I ended up being more of a text editor, cutting loads of stuff out of out of an original script. Okay. Um, and I didn't really. So I, I spoke to the d- director a lot about the idea, mm-hmm. but because of the budget restrictions and the time restrictions we've had, there was no way we were going to go for a big 
concept and stylize it all through. And so what was this play? We should say what the play was. It's um, Iphigenia okay, in yeah. the Taurus and the Rose, Rose Theatre. This is Goethe's version of the play. Yeah, Goethe, Johann Wolfgang von yeah. Goethe. Yeah, so there is a translation, um, Roy Pascal, from maybe 50 years ago. So it was a really, really great translation, which just was too long for the slot we had. Mm-hmm. So we had to take maybe 20, 30% out. And so I worked with the director and the and the publisher and an um, academic, Martin Swales, and we worked together to, to edit it out. And um, I went to rehearsals and read-throughs and, um, and spoke to the director to, um, to see how, how stuff went. Um, yeah. So you're not there all the time. You're not like an assistant director. Mm-hmm. And it's a different role. It's good to not be in the process the whole time so you sometimes after a week come fresh to new ideas that, that have developed um, yeah. okay so it, it's a sort of multifaceted position depends on the play it's sort of uh, what would be the word negotiated role in some sense I think I think so um, and here if you're I think British dramaturgs are that's my impression at least they are much more yeah, they write a lot more, I think, mm-hmm. from, from, my, from what I understand. So they do lots of rewrites and um, maybe involved in the translation. But also, so my German <laughs> dramaturgs in Germany. So it's, yeah, it's not clear-cut, that, that distinction and how it works. And there are other people who have much more insightful things to say about, about the role. If I am in a dramaturgical context, it's just all about finding out what the production needs, mm-hmm. I think. Okay, I think I've got a more concrete idea of what this is about then now. Um, let's, let's also talk about your, um, your reviewing then. So you, you review plays. Just talk, talk me through the process then. So you go there and how do you write this? How do you write a review? How do you approach the play? Mm, so I think when we talked earlier when I said, oh, I came here and then I mm. worked a little bit in theatre and it, it, I didn't... You know, I didn't come here to be uh, a critic, mm-hmm. and I, I, that was never like a lot of people have a really clear idea of their, um, you know, their critical project. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's also developed throughout throughout time. But I, I do it because I like theatre, like watching things, and I like understanding mm-hmm. how plays work, like what are their inner workings, mm-hmm. and for me writing reviews is very at the moment at least feels somehow selfish because I'm trying to explain to myself what's going on in this play and how does it relate to what's going on in the world mm-hmm. um, so maybe that's a bit of this like dramaturgical workings in myself just trying to understand structure and trying to understand the, the performances and how you know what do nuances in performances how do they relate to the text? So when I see something, uh, in the beginning I was really, I, mean, I wanted to see all the big Western shows because I hadn't, I hadn't been exposed to that type of theatre before. Mm-hmm. And then I got bored with it fairly, okay. fairly, fairly quickly. Um, yeah, you know, when you come from a fairly uh, small German town, you, t- you don't where, see... Where were you from in Germany? Well, I, I grew up in eastern Germany originally okay. and then studied in Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. 
we don't have these stars. You don't see film stars on stage, you know. Mm. It's, it, so that was that was a big thing in the first few months where I wrote reviews. It was just very exciting to see these big stars. And then um, after a while, when you see lots more, you you really quickly you see um, what's done for entertainment and to get people in, and what's actually something. Yeah, that tries to try uh, do something new and. Mm-hmm. And see, tries and see what theatre can do beyond what's already established. So when I see something new, I try to have as little preconceptions about what I'm going to see uh, in, in front of me. So I just go there and let it, you know, like wash, wash over me. Yeah, that, I think that's that's the ideal from my point of view as well. Is it, it's best to appreciate things without knowing anything about them at all, which often is completely impossible because you've gone because you like the sound of whatever it is you're going to see. But I think, yeah, because the person who wrote the play didn't probably intend you to see whatever trailer or read whatever about it first. The play is designed to stand on its own. Um, yeah, there are... Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree that, that sometimes it's hard uh, not to be become a fan girl, maybe, of something. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I know there's a, there's a company who do amazing work and stuff I like, I, I try and go and see it and write about it, and then you can be a bit fangirly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's a great thing, I think, especially when you write um, online. There is there is a great critic, Megan Vaughan. She she champions new work, and she's very outspoken about when she loves something. Mm-hmm. She and she wouldn't. There's, there's nothing dirty for her about saying, "Oh, you're a fan." That's that's a great thing. If you've got a voice and you've got, you know, you've got hundreds of readers, and you say, "This is what I like, and this is why you should see it." Yeah. So you really champion people's work. So it's, I guess it's how, what you see your role as a critic to be. Do you want to be impartial? Mm-hmm. Is that even possible to be impartial about stuff? Um, yeah, but if, if you don't know anything, or if, if I don't know anything about a piece of work, then like on Friday I'm going to see something, I have no idea what it's going to be, and it's very exciting, because um, it might be, you know, it might come out buzzing. and <laughs> So, yeah, there's no real clear approach of how I'm going like, to write about something. And I also think, because I'm, I'm writing in a second language, mm-hmm. so I always struggle to, you know, to... I have to sit down and find a structure. And to me, it's a way of explaining, like find, finding a structure for myself, understanding it. So that's, that's I guess, why I write about theatre. Uh, in in Exeunt as well, there are sort of um, I've seen on the website collaborative reviews, sort of dialogue reviews of, of pieces. So how do you, is that something? Do you, do you have a conversation and just take notes from the conversation, or do you, how does that work? Well, you mean these these um, yeah we have we have posts where maybe four or five of us have seen the same production. Well, normally the normally it's one person going to review a show, mm-hmm. and then they write a. a Big text. I don't know. Yeah, seven up, seven hundred and up words. But we also have um, dialogue reviews. Either two people or more have seen the same show, and then is someone had has some beef with it and said this is why it's problematic, um, and then other people respond to it. Or you know, everyone has their brings their own personality to rev- um, to review. review. So they might spot different themes, and there's one one bit. I think it was the beginning of the year. There was a show on at the Bush. Um, it's called Islands, and 
it just had really really damning mainstream reviews mm-hmm. and then one of the writers um, Exeunt wrote this really glowing review picking all, all apart what, what was brilliant about it and you've got two voices someone you know it's a five star review and a one star review or a two star review that me personally makes me want to see it so I went and then uh, we realised a few other people had seen it as well, and then we said, "Oh, okay, that's great. Let's talk about it. What does it? Wh- why did that happen? Why did this this discrepancy between these responses?" And that's exciting to to find out these nuances. And um, so it's, it feels, as I said earlier, it really feels like a critical community. And I just learned I learned so much through other people's writing. And if someone damns something, I learn a lot about them mm-hmm. as a writer and as a theatre goer. And I think that's the exciting bit. That is always about learning. There's nothing. I don't find it interesting to write a damning review of something or a glowing review even. I just don't find that. Uh, who's that for? I don't know. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're blogging, there's no. I don't think it's interesting to say yes you should go and see this if you like this then you should go see this I don't think that's our role as online reviewers so tell me about this podcast then that you are you are part of this is part of the Exeunt as well yeah yeah so I'm the co-producer of um, Pursuit by Bear um, mm-hmm. the Exeunt Theatre podcast and um, I do it with Tim Bano mm-hmm. who's a brilliant writer and we both Done some, I've done some radio work in the past, and because Exion just allows us to play with formats and uh, yeah, so th- there's just a lot of freedom. We um, talked to the editor and said, "Oh, it'd be a great idea to maybe do some more audio stuff." So there's already been audio stuff on the site, mm-hmm. interviews with people and um, audio reviews, and we thought, "Oh, it'd be great if we could do something regular and give us." You know ourselves as critics or art journalists, however you want to define yourself, um, a format which we can develop and try things out. So we've done, um, I think, four long episodes so far, and then short ones from Edinburgh this year. Mm-hmm. And we've definitely played with with formats in the first few. Yeah, so I, I was listening to a few of these. They're sort of magazine type episodes where you've got different items, sort of interviews, and. Uh, and, and reviews on there and then there's one uh, which is really quite uh, must have been a, a more ambitious project all round which is uh, called Uncaused Effects which I was listening to the other day so just uh, tell us about that one in particular well, Uncaused Effects um, is an episode about new writing mm-hmm. and we talked to several um, playwrights mm-hmm. some very well-known ones, um, David Ecker, Dan Rabalato, um, Jack Thorne, and some upcoming ones. And we try to understand what makes writers tick, how do they work. Because mm-hmm. it's always this mysterious thing. You sit down and you have an idea and then you write it down. Obviously, it's much more complex than that. So we ask them, um, what are your... You know, how, how, do you, how do you write? Where do you sit when you write? What is it... Uh, what about your characters, what are their motivations and all these I don't know, just really trying to get to the to the core of why why they think writing is something that they should be doing and then um, 
yeah, we edit, edited it in a very dense, um, in a dense way. So Tim, who's just the master at, at editing, um, spent a lot of time um, making that happen. So listen to it. Well, <laughs> yeah, do episode. listen to it because uh, I mean, I, I wanted to say really because I listened to this the other day and it is absolutely fantastic. It really is brilliant. So you you are a writer yourself. What did, what happened to you? What happened to me while I was while but, I was listening to yeah. it? Um, well, I find it I find it really inspirational and quite moving. It's just writers talking about writing. So it sounds silly, but I was. It's because it's so closely edited. It's nine interviews woven together with bits of sound clips and things as well. It was just, and it covers every aspect of writing from beginning to end. And people who have obviously, listening to people who are successful in a field, uh, to whatever degree, is always sort of, can be inspiring. But the way it was edited, it's just brilliant. It just grabs hold of you at the beginning and then doesn't let you stop to think. It just sort of washes over you. It's, It's quite incredible and, and definitely people should listen to it and what, what I I think is great is that there, there are so many challenges that writers face here in, in Britain as playwrights face about how they're being commissioned how do I get my work out there if I write something that's you know that's being put on when will it when will it come back on the stage you know there are lots of worries for for writers but to hear that enthusiasm and to also hear um people who've written for 40 years be really uh, encouraging of new writers so all yeah it really gave us as as people who work on it a perspective of um that actually new writing is is really healthy in in the uk and there's lots of people saying oh state of new writing grumble 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 but yeah it get everything's fine keep writing <laughs> yeah i'll put a link to that in the notes from this uh, this show um, and people can go and listen to that because it is really brilliant um, maybe we should round up by talking about very briefly perhaps about your uh, your upcoming or con- current research because you said you, you're doing a PhD uh, and as far as I'm aware it's on quite an interesting sort of topic because it's about monsters is would, that right? I would call it sort of topic as well at the moment uh, well I wasn't <laughs> intending to damn you with faint praise no 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 because also on your website you say you collect monsters so what, what's this monsters thing about then? Mm. so I've um, I've been interested in monsters for quite a long time now um, yeah, maybe ten years I've just really fascinated by by them. And when um, we say what, monsters, what do we mean by monsters? See, everyone asks, <laughs> asks that question. They say, what, what, what do monsters mean? Is this a monster? Does Frankenstein's monster, does that count? And uh, yeah, obviously there are so many different, different types of monsters, but the ones I'm, I'm interested in are the ones that can't talk. So what okay. I want to look at is, um, are the monst- is a relationship between speechlessness or language crisis mm-hmm. and and the monstrous right that's 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 even more specific than i thought it was <laughs> um yeah it's um it's quite specific i think because there are um i think a lot of interesting things you can look at with monsters um and i i find it really fascinating that we create those those beings in literature and film and also in mythology mm-hmm. there have been lots of monsters and um you can um you can try and trace back where they where they've come from um what what kind of trauma maybe they've come from um, my my favorite example is um godzilla in the 50s mm-hmm. in in japan 
no. it's, it's come out of some kind of um, trauma of that nation being being bombed at the end yeah. of um, World War Two. You know, it's the it's the threat from comes from the sea and destroys the city. Um, well, there's so a bit at the beginning of Godzilla, which is uh, just. Um, a, a parallel of, of a boat that was actually destroyed in a nuclear test, I think, isn't there? I, there you go. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting it's, film. It's very specific. I yeah. mean, that is that is a very obvious monster. Um, what I want to look at in particular is speechlessness and why those beings and why those creatures don't have a language. You know, we create them. They come from somewhere, some sort of cultural, uh, you know, setting or some kind of trauma, and they and we make them and then they're in front of us and then we can't really you know they threaten us and we can't really talk to them we can't say no spare me I have a very good reason why you shouldn't kill me and they just go rah <laughs> I can't talk to you uh, so I, f I find that fascinating why is that something we do and um, yeah and what what is actually the the productive bit in that like I don't think I don't think that the monsters are only there to reflect something back to us. I think there's something more, I don't know, at the moment, as you can see, it's very vague. Um, yeah. Well, I'll come back to you in three years and, and find out what the conclusions <laughs> please are. Please do, please do. Uh, thank you very much anyway for coming to talk to me today. No, thank you. You can follow Anna Grit on Twitter, at Anne underscore Schreibt. That's Anne, A-double-N-E, and Schreibt from Schreiben, the German to write. Exeunt Magazine is exeuntmagazine.com or follow them on Twitter at Theatre Magazine, all one word. You can find the Pursued by a Bear podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash exeunt hyphen magazine and follow the Little Written podcast on Twitter at Little Written. <laughs>